This morning we were thinking about some of the earlier verses in Hebrews chapter 12. And we were thinking of Sinai and Zion, and we were really contrasting the two. That Zion was a place of the law, a broken law. It was a place of darkness and tempest and, and all the things that went with that. Sinai was a place that really said you cannot come, you cannot approach. And then we looked at Zion, a place that said welcome, uh, a place that gave us every encouragement. And uh, we looked at the context of how the Hebrews at that time were being encouraged to come to Christ, to come to Zion. Why would they want to go back to Sinai? Tonight I want to draw your attention to some of those later verses where we read of God shaking things. He shook Sinai. Uh, but here he says in those later verses that he will not only uh, shake the earth, but he will shake the heavens also. And uh, verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And... Uh, He also says that there is a great shaking, but there are things that will remain. In other words, there are things that are unshakable. And so this evening I want us to look from a biblical point of view to see what the Lord would say to us from that passage and also from Psalm 11, because the psalmist was living in perhaps a a far lesser sense of vastness of the situation, but he was in a, a micro situation, if you like. And he found himself in a position uh, where everything around him was in a state of flux. And uh, under the hand of God, the Holy Spirit, in verse 3 of that psalm, he asks the question, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And say Hebrews 12 talks us about the foundations being destroyed, or at least being shaken we know that we live in a very unstable world, perhaps more than ever before, not just because of the things we see happening, but when something happens in another part of the world, it now affects vast areas of the world. So, for example, in years past, we might say the Crimea War, uh, it didn't really affect people, only those that were on the spot and the countries that were sending soldiers to that war. Uh, But today, when you see a war in Ukraine or in Israel, it affects the economy and the people of many nations around the world. Uh, And we live in an unstable world, uh, and we see how quickly things change. We see a world that's changed, particularly perhaps in our own land, in morality. We see how quickly economics can change. Something happens on the stock exchange in America and immediately billions are wiped off of the stock exchanges in Europe. And of course I've mentioned warfare. And we can find ourselves daunted and even distressed by the change and instability we see around us. So I want to draw your attention to the fact that although much of what we see and perhaps those of us a little bit older, we've known of the world in years past, there is one who changes not. And there is one who says there are things that will remain. And whatever we see around us, there are things that are going to be uh, constant. There are things which cannot be shaken. 
Now, I want to see four things this evening, and probably they are brief, but firstly, I want us to see that our foundations indeed are being shaken and destroyed, and they're things that are shaken by humanity. And then secondly, we'll see they're things that the Lord is going to shake. And thirdly, we're going to see those things that remain, they, they cannot be shaken, and then fourthly, we'll answer the question from Psalm 11, then bearing all that in mind, what can the righteous do? And so we look at all that situation, we say, well, what can we do in this situation? Now, I'm saying Psalm 11, David found himself in a, a dangerous situation. He's under the threat of King Saul, which happened a number of times. But Saul has just had 85 priests killed. And he had them killed because they wouldn't grasp on David. They wouldn't say where David was. And so they were slain. They're kind of another little group of people, aren't they, in the Bible, that in the main we don't have their names. And yet they were heroic, weren't they, really? They gave their lives for David. And in that sense, they gave their lives for the sake of the things of God. And so David is seeing all this. The king's after him. The priests have been slain. He's on the run. And many precious things in his land were being undermined. Justice and truth, a reverence for God, they'd all been rejected at that particular time. And you remember Saul, he was at one time one who served God, but no longer. He was killing the Lord's anointed. And David sees the foundations of Israel or Israeli society being removed. And that's when he cries out, well, if the foundations are being destroyed, what can we who follow God, what can the righteous do in this situation? And I suppose as we look back then, we see that foundational precepts on which we once stood have been destroyed. So first heading then, we notice that much of our nation's foundations have been removed. In other words, these are things that have been shaken by humanity. I've probably given you this illustration before, but I remember going to the big school, you know, the, the secondary school. I wasn't posh enough for grammar school. The secondary school. And we went into a science lesson. And, uh, you know, that's the first science lesson we'd had. You didn't get science lessons in primary school. And the, the master poured out a load of stuff on a, on a, um, on a table. And he says, how can you sort those things out? There's two things in, in that substance. And uh, he said, one was, I think, flour, and the other was some metal filings. And, of course, we all didn't know the answer. And he just got a magnet. Of course, put the magnet over the pile, and all the, all the metal filings came out onto the magnet and left a pure flour there. And we thought, well, that was, that's pretty clever, but it's common sense, I suppose. And that's very much what's happening to our land, isn't it? It's as if a magnet is passing over the land and pulling out all the Christian virtues, pulls out the Bibles uh, from the hotels and hospitals, it, it pulls out the, the Christianity from Parliament, uh, and, and all of those things are being sucked away, as it were. Now, many of these things are well known to you, so I don't want to dwell on, on this too long, but it's an important point if we're to be encouraged. Um, if we're to be encouraged by what the Lord's doing, we need to see what humanity uh, uh, is doing. Now, you know it's uh, very rare for a foundation to move without some cause. Someone has tampered with it. Uh, if a building's foundations break up, it's because of drought or earthquake or, or perhaps the, the, the foundation was poorly built. 
And our nation's foundation has been destroyed because it has been tampered with, hasn't it? It's been tampered with by the ungodly, by people, not by God. The Lord has allowed it to happen, but it's people who remove these things from our society. And uh, we could say it has been destroyed by drought, uh, because the scripture says that there is a a drought or a famine uh, through the lack of the hearing of the word of God. There's very careful wording. I think we find that in Amos. It's through the hearing of the word of God. There's not a lack of a word of God. You can go into any bookshop and find Bibles. You can go into many homes and find Bibles. There are plenty of Bibles. You can go online and read the Bible. It's not a shortage of the word of God, but there is a shortage of hearing it. People don't hear the word of God. A lot of people that have been to a place of worship today will not hear the word of God. We think of one or two of those foundations then that have been destroyed. We know our biblical heritage uh, has been destroyed. I suppose that's that's an umbrella sort of phrase, isn't it? Uh, Under which so much once stood. Uh, We once had a common world view that was based on the principles of Scripture. And if you didn't believe those or you spoke different to those, then you were the odd one out. It's not like that anymore. We think of creation. We know Darwin and his hand in, in, in creation. Um, well, in the 1850-ish, well, you think up until that time, most people had believed in the biblical account of creation. They might not have worshipped God as, as, as they ought. There may be many things odd in their lives, but in the back of their mind, there was that default position that whatever I believe, God created the heavens and the earth. So for all of those years... They believed, but not anymore. Um, Economics were based on the principles of Scripture. International relations were based on the principles of Scripture. Uh, Morality was based on the principle of Scripture. And and because the foundation uh, has been moved, then the house begins to shake. And that's why we see many of the issues that we have in in our land today. We have, uh, because of the neglect of God's word, we have moral declension. And we have family breakdown. We have allowed the sin of murder of abortion and a raft of other legislation that tries to make good what God says is bad. Uh, And when you, or when any nation undermines God's word, other things begin to shift. And as I say, biblical Christianity has been extracted uh, from much of our government, our schools, Uh, and almost every part of society. And uh, we should be grateful for people like the Christian Institute that in a very efficient and uh, professional manner try to defend uh, Christian principles. And it's interesting that when a, a Christian finds themselves being taken to court, maybe by the police or it may be by a local authority, etc., that mostly those cases are dropped or one or two that get through, they are, um, they, they are not found guilty because they are dependent upon the bits and pieces of law that we still have. We don't know how long that will last. And uh, there are many things being threatened, isn't there, even at the moment. And uh, who knows, after an election, uh, government has, whichever government it is, it has a, a full term in front of it, may well bring things in that are further and further away from Scripture. We know at the moment there are people uh, waiting to go to court, and some have been there, who have been found praying uh, outside or near an abortion clinic, and uh, 
The police ask them, this is the sinister part perhaps, the police ask them, what are you doing? They say, I'm prying. And they say, what are you prying about? And if you said, I'm prying about the football match up the road, or I'm prying because my mother's ill, then that's fine. But if you say you're prying one man, I'm sure you'll be of the Catholic persuasion, but he was saying he was praying for his son that had been aborted, then the police arrested them. So what they were doing was they were actually arresting someone not only for prayer, but for what they were praying. And they actually wanted to know, what are your thoughts when you're praying? And when you think that through, that is very sinister. And uh, there are other things at the moment that are going <coughs> along that are of a similar ilk. So we, we belong to a nation that's turned from light to darkness. And all of this is without venturing into the shaking of our materialistic world, the, the economy, etc., and uh, the wars that are going on at the moment. These are things that have been shaken by humanity by saying we don't want to do that, we don't believe that, uh, and all I've mentioned. But let's move on. There are things that God shakes. And uh, I was going to say this is more serious in one sense, but uh, verse 26 says of our reading in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. That's a promise, he says. He hath promised, saying. So this is not something we're saying, well, it may happen, it may not happen, we don't know what God means. Well, the detail of some of these things we don't know. But if you like, the, the big stuff is enough. He's going to shake the heaven and the earth. Now, God shook the earth before, didn't he, at the time of flood. Uh, great reading some of the articles in, uh, by Christian ministries, uh, creation ministries, etc., where there is a great description of the sorts of things that have happened and the evidence that we see around us. Uh, God shook the earth at the time of the flood. He shook Mount Sinai. That was a unique day that we spoke about this morning when he gave the law to Moses. He shook the earth when Christ yielded up his life and he's going to shake the earth yet again. Uh, and it's a time yet to come when he will literally shake the earth and uh, with it the things that humanity hold dear. I mean, interesting uh, exercise for us to think if the Lord was to shake the earth as it were now, uh, assuming because we stand in that, what things are precious to us? What things would really matter? You know, in the book of Revelation we read of this time or one of the times when God will shake the earth again, when there is tribulation upon the earth. And God will unleash judgment on the earth. And uh, I know it's a long time ago now, but we went through the book of Revelations and we followed the various series of judgments that God would pour out. And indeed, Richard ha has done that, uh, going through this book of Revelation. And uh, in one sense, we see some of it now, there is economic turmoil, uh, there is uh, environmental turmoil, uh, there is all sorts of things happening. But when you get to chapter 6, verse 12, it's uh, interesting there when we read, John is seeing these things. He says, I behold, when the Lord opened the sixth seal, or it may have been an angel, I can't remember it, it matters not for what I'm reading. When he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Some stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, 
when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled up together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains, the mighty men, bondmen, free men, they hid themselves in dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? We see there a great shaking, perhaps one that we can hardly imagine. It speaks of the stars falling. And I think, again, uh, you look at some of the creation um, examination of that, it's probably talking of meteorites and things falling from the earth. We know a literal star, if that fell, it's a, you know, some of those stars are uh, millions of times bigger than the earth. It'd be a terrible time that is coming when God shakes the earth. Uh, it will seem uh, what we see today will be nothing compared to that. But these are things God has promised to do, and he's given us a fair warning. I was reading a little article today. A friend of mine does a blog on the, um, on the computer each morning, and he was speaking of how he says his life was saved by a um, detector alarm, by a gas in the, it was in the kitchen or in a bathroom or somewhere. Something wasn't quite right, and the, the detector went off, gave him the warning. And uh, when the people come out to sort it out, they said... Without that, you would be dead because the, uh, the gas that was coming from their boiler was, uh, didn't have any smell to it at all. And uh, it is that which has killed a number of people. And so his life was preserved by that detector uh, that went off. And this is very much like that when we read the Bible, when we hear people preaching, when we read a tract. If we're not saved, this is a detector. This is a call that goes off and warns us of that which is to come. And so the Lord warns us here that eventually he will fold up the heavens and he will create a new heavens and a new earth. Elsewhere he uses the phrase that he will fold up the heavens as a man folds up his garment. God will shake the earth as never before. The writer to the Hebrews warns us of that. But thirdly, there are things that remain amidst all of this shaking. Men may do what they will, but there are some things that cannot be moved. And uh, even the Lord says that when he shakes the earth, there will be things that remain. Verse 27 speaks of the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So this is not a serving suggestion. This is not something that, well, one or two things might stick around. This is, again, the same the God who promised to shake things is the same God here who says there are things that cannot be shaken and they will remain. And this is where we take comfort, isn't it, and encouragement this evening, that despite what we see around us, despite the, the foundation being removed, there is a time when God will shake things and even despite that, there are the most important things that will remain. And so it's like I was saying this morning at some point, we're not particularly interested in the politics. We're not particularly worried about the environment, although we should respect it. We're not particularly worried about the economy, 
although we should be honest with it. And we could look at all of these things because ultimately the things of God will remain firm. We read in 1 Timothy 2, the foundation of God standeth sure. Standeth sure. So just look at a few things for a moment then that we can rely on that will always be the same. If God shakes the earth, heavens and earth or whatever happens, there are things that remain the same. And certainly while we're in time, the means of salvation remains the same. I don't mean people ticking the box and saying they're a Christian. I mean, if someone is going to come to real faith, that their destination is going to be changed to one of glory, then that's a great work of God. And it's never changed, never has done, and it never will. God has set that down. No other way is known, no other name is given. And again, in a sense, as far as a Christian is concerned, does it matter that we live in a pluralistic society? It matters in the sense we're sad that that is the situation, but it matters not one iota to God. The means of salvation cannot be changed by people saying, well, you could worship this way or that way, or you could put uh, 200 types of religion on a census form. There is still only one way that is known. Our forefathers were called to preach the gospel and to live it, creating and maintaining a biblical foundation. We're called to do just the same. It's the same gospel. We might be able to use a computer. Our, our program, our, our service tonight is going out to anyone who wants to listen across the whole world. They couldn't do that. But it's the same gospel. If we change the gospel, then we might as well pack up and go home. There is nothing to preach. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is that it matters not what people think. God has set down that it is the same way. And it, it's his work. It's, uh, he changes not. Dead sinners have not yet found another way to come alive. No more than a corpse in a mortuary has found a way to return to life. It, it, it ain't going to happen. And the eternal value and power of the precious blood of Christ is unchangeable. One hymn says, doesn't it, and the blood of Jesus shall never lose its power. No, never. No, never. That's true, isn't it? Not only can man not change the means of salvation, neither can God. Because this is the only way, and he set it down in a covenant, written in his blood. And today some Christians will lose their lives because of their faith. A few weeks ago there was five people apprehended because they were meeting for prayer in North Korea. And no one knows where they are now. I don't know whether they were killed whether they were put in a camp, we just don't know. But that wasn't unusual for North Korea. It isn't unusual in many countries. Today there will be people who will lose their lives because of the gospel. But that which is most precious in Christ remains. They're still a saved people. And people will be saved today in Chinese prisons, in the loneliness of an Eritrean dungeon or maybe in a church pew, in the street, but they all find salvation the same way. As one hymn says, some come through the flood, some come through the fire, but all come through the blood. That is unchangeable. It remains. Of course, we've got the Bible. That remains. It's the most attacked book in the world. What does the psalmist say? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven 
And again, it doesn't matter what people do to the book. They can burn all the Bibles there are, if you like, but it's still the same. People may misquote it. His word liveth and abideth forever. I suppose one of the sad things is that the Bible is often attacked from the pulpit. I was reading a couple of weeks ago of a pastor, and I won't mention his name, but he's probably pastor of one of the largest churches in America, where literally tens of thousands of people will turn up every week. And yet it would seem by my observation that there are things there very different to Scripture. I'm not talking about a variation of, of, of a form of worship, etc., but when someone denies the Trinity, when someone refuses to talk about sin, when someone denies the uh, scriptural account of creation when they don't preach a biblical gospel, when you put all of that together, you think, that's not a church. That's just people coming together to pretend it's a church. And it's not surprising, it's the most popular. You might say, well, as long as that stays in America, that's their problem. But the issue is, it's on our television. And sometimes I've found Christians come to me and say, oh, we want to listen to so-and-so on this channel, he's really good. And maybe that bit that you heard was good, but we have to look further. We have to look deeper than that. We find that they're not really believing most of Scripture. But it makes no difference in the sense the Bible is that which is going to remain. It's interesting, wasn't it, that not so many years ago when Billy Graham came over, he was welcomed. And uh, even a fisherman, the Queen, had a number of meetings with Billy Graham. Didn't have to believe what, believe what, what everything he said and did 100%, but we have to stand back and say, God, use that man to save many, many people. And here we are, a generation later, and his son, who preaches the same gospel, people don't even want to let him come into the country. And various venues around the country cancelled on him. But again, there are those who went to court and they were found, no, the, the law of the land says you must let these meetings be held. But the sad thing is how quickly things are undermined, where people believed the Bible, embraced the gospel, wanted to hear it, and now they don't want it even in the land. But the Bible is the same. The word of God stands sure. And then we have the throne of God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. You talk to people about the throne of God, they say, well, that's, that's kind of pie in the sky, that's nothing that, that counts today but they will stand before the throne of God. Not believing in something doesn't make it go away. simple example might be you've got a tummy ache and you say, I don't believe it. And you've still got a tummy ache. And it is with all of these things. They're there. They are things that are going to remain. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. We read it in the Psalms. And God in his sovereignty sees us. He ever lives to reign for us. And one day we shall see him on his throne. And while all the kingdoms of this earth shake and rulers come and go, God rules on high. We sing, don't we, simple little chorus. God is still on the throne and he will remember his own. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Isn't it wonderful to think of Almighty God on his throne and he remembers you. He remembers you. We are saying to the folk at Blair House this afternoon at one point on their programme was a picture of the war memorial in the village here. And there are names on there. 
And maybe some of you remember some of those names. I, I can't remember the names, although there are some village names on there. But it's a lovely thing to think that God actually knows your name. And he knows you as an individual. You're not a name just chiseled onto a gravestone. You are a name engraved into the palms of his hands if you are a believer. Those things are sure. And then we have God's kingdom. Verse 28 says, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. What a blessed hope we've got that we are part of his kingdom now in that sense, but we're going into a literal kingdom when he comes and he reigns. It cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? Because we're part of the kingdom. And we're going to be there one day. And then one more, of course, Christ himself. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, they're unchangeable. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. His person is the same. His attributes are the same. His promises are the same. Nothing about him can change. While people mock him, and in many ways trample on the gospel, he remains the same in an ever-increasingly changing world, uh, one that doesn't change for the better. We have a saviour who changes not. Fourthly, what can the righteous do then? In all of this turmoil that we see around us, what can we do? Well, the psalmist says in verse 1 there, in the Lord put I my trust. That's why it's the beginning of the psalm, because that's where we must begin. In the Lord put I my trust. I've come to know Christ as my saviour. My my sin has been dealt with on the cross. I, I trust him for that. David questioned those around and maybe his own conscious conscience. He said, What can I do? Perhaps I should flee as a bird to the mountain. But the answer is not that, and he knows that. We have to cling to things that remain. Make sure our grasp is on the firmer things of God. We have bank accounts. They're important to us in many ways. But they come and go. Let's not set out our store by them. We have possessions here that may be precious to us. But they are luggage. Luggage on our pilgrimage. Too much luggage and you won't get far on your journey. Hymn writer says, Content to let the world go by. To know no gain or loss. That's easier to sing, isn't it, than perhaps to experience. We want gain. We don't want any loss. My friends, let's increasingly seek to depend on the Lord and his unchanging word. No other foundation can man lay than that that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. We sing in one hymn, when all foundations else will fail, those built on this shall then prevail, and lift their heads with joyful praise to him who this foundation lays. Let's be sure that we're building on the foundation that cannot be shaken. And let's be motivated by the thought of of Christ's return. If we knew the Lord was coming back next Sunday, what would we do? I suspect there'd be a number of reactions. Some might be like Whitfield of old. When asked what he would do, he said, well, what I normally do. His life was so geared up that didn't have to change anything. Some of us might rush around like headless chickens trying to cram as much service in as we can because we haven't done a lot till now. And perhaps some would do very little, not because they had nothing to do, but they had no intention on doing it. Maybe they didn't even believe the Lord was coming or they just didn't care. 
You know, there are those who put off coming to know Christ. They know the gospel. They know they need to come for repentance and faith, but they don't. I'll do it when I'm older. And when they get older, they find they've lost the desire, the desire that they thought they would have. My friends, we don't know when the Lord is coming, but the thought of his coming, the thought of being with him, the thought of millions going to hell, and the numerous exhortations we have in the scripture to go and tell and to, and to live out the gospel should motivate us to live for him as perhaps we've never done before. And so there we are, four things we've looked at. Many of our foundations have been destroyed as humanity has pulled the rug from many things in scripture. Secondly, the Lord is going to shake the earth. Thirdly, there are things that remain Fourthly, what should we do? Cling to those things that remain and look to him, particularly for his coming. Really, there's lots of application there already, but just one closing final point. If this is what the righteous should do, what are the unrighteous going to do when the foundations be destroyed? The psalmist says, upon the wicked he shall rain fire. In other words, there is a lost eternity. We have to be honest with these things as we were this morning. There is Sinai, the broken law. God is unapproachable. But through Christ, same God, Christ has made a way whereby we are welcome. And uh, the scripture warns us, and Hebrews in particular warns us, that we should not refuse him that speaketh. Christ is available today for those who will trust in him. And whilst the world begins to wobble a bit and we shall see a great shaking, come to Christ, a solid foundation. May the Lord enable us to do that and encourage us in the week ahead that whatever we read round about us, remember there are things that are going to remain and those are the things that I'm hanging on to.